listener. Welcome to my podcast, The Compassionate Observer. My name is Amy Alexander. As an American psychotherapist living in rural England, I am continuously curious about the lives of others. Join me whilst we sit with ordinary people who have extraordinary lives. Hi, welcome to the first edition of the Compassionate Observer podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. (laughs) My first guest is a hero of mine. Uh, Her name is Jillian Leno, and I've known Jillian for quite a long time and seen her develop her career by leaps and bounds. At the moment, she's a hub manager for a bespoke and creative PA service in the community, helping people with learning disabilities. She's also a sex educator for people with various disabilities and has created a nightclub called The Night Owl that's completely inclusive for people with all sorts of difference. She also has done a TED Talk, which is quite impressive. Look it up. And she has a cat called Halo. Can I just call you Jill? Yeah. I'm not in trouble yet. <laughs> <laughs> not in trouble. Or Ms. Ms. No. Lena will call you Jill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jill manages a community organization and she works with young adults who have uh, disabilities and challenges. Um, those who might have sensory, those who have physical, emotional disabilities, young people to come and do do what Jill so what do they do well um so for about the last 15 years or so I've worked with really young adults so um young people who are in their mid-teens up into their early to mid-20s and I did that in an educational Mm -hmm. setting um young people who have um as you say so specific kind of support needs so um, learning or physical disabilities, sensory disabilities, autism spectrum conditions. Um, mm-hmm. And for a long time, I did uh, relationships and sex ed, and that is my kind of specialism. Yeah. That's my background. And my college that I worked for, um, we kind mm-hmm. of got to the point where we realised that people were leaving college, having done all this great educational work, you know, done, the, done a, a vocational or a academic program with support, obviously, and, and done loads of kind of um, pastoral support, I guess you would call it, where we'd, we'd worked on independence and, you know, having the life you wanted. And then actually there's nothing to go to. So the organisation... Do you mean to go to... After college. Oh, so, sorry. So if <clears throat> after college. Yeah, so if you're somebody who needs... Um, a significant amount of support actually your options are still pretty limited when you leave you know your educational place or, or, or you know. mm. um and so we were really conscious and we're new as well we, we haven't been around a very long time a couple of years we realized with covid and everything um happening that there was people who were just completely isolated so anyway that was how my organization started but what we do is we we offer bespoke um pa services um so we support people to have the lives that they want whether that is you know individually or or with other people to go out and work or volunteer or whatever they want to do really so i've known you Uh for a long time 
And uh, we were friends and we met doing a community project mm-hmm. together many, many years ago, built some online communities mm-hmm. together, which was really where we became very close. And one of the things I know about you is that community is really important to you. Yes. And I know that um, people who live in communities who are isolated or people who live in communities who are othered or people who live in communities um, who are invisible are really important to you. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I remember in 2017, you did a Ted talk around, um, sexual citizenship. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about your experiences with working with people who are sexually invisible. And I think it's really important that you can, if you would tell us a little bit about that work, because it's so groundbreaking. So you are right. So community is where I am at. That is, that is what I am interested in because I, I think that as, as humans, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to be excluded. You know, we're not supposed to exclude each other. We're, we're, all, we're all in it together. And for me, the work that I have always done, whether that be my long woolly history of relationships and sex ed, or whether it be what I'm doing now, it's not about, it isn't about sex and it's not really about relationships as much as it's about rights and choices mm-hmm. and being able to take your place amongst everybody else, you know. And when I gave my TED talk, what had happened is that about two weeks before I delivered it, I had been invited to go and speak at a conference in Ireland. And a woman who spoke at the conference who had Down syndrome um, talked and she, we were we were more or less the same age and she talked really passionately about her long-term partner who she was not allowed to marry because she had to prove that she understood all of the ins and outs of marriage before she would be allowed to make that decision I'm so- I'm sorry what do you mean by well proof? this is and this is what made me really angry um Okay. <laughs> is it really because actually like how do you prove that like i've been married you've been married i had no i had no idea someone should have made me prove much better the first time spoiler alert everybody i'm not married no more um, and, <laughs> i mean i'm all joking aside i mean you know like what is that all about and i just yeah what is that exactly. all about? What and does it, that just, mean it just kind of lit a bit of a fire under me. So sexual citizenship as a concept um, really grew out of the LGBTQ community in the 90s when it was first being written about. And, you know, well, you know that my back, my very far way back background is in HIV work and I have been mm-hmm. doing it. So that's yeah. where you start. That's where you Way, started. When I was a baby project worker about a million years ago, it was it was HIV work that I did, and I am mm-hmm. just old enough to have had clients then who were just old enough to tell me about how it was in the nineties. You know when HIV and AIDS were still not really brilliantly understood, and there was a lot more 
I mean, hey, I know the climate now is different and strange and toxic in pockets, but it's very different then. Mm. And so this idea of sexual citizenship is the concept of being equal, equal citizens, visible, valid in your desires, respected in your desires. But what I kept coming back to visible, visible, visible. Anyway, at this conference, as well as this amazing, amazing uh, talk that was given, um, by the woman that I mentioned before, I also saw Selena Bonney speaking. So Selena Bonney is a disabled researcher um, who talks about um, sexuality relationships, amongst other things. She's a brilliant speaker. She talked about sexual citizenship and the concept of disability, and it was like a light bulb went off. It was like, you know, really... Um, oh, can I ask you why that light bulb went off? Is there something about... Pardon me. Pardon me. Is there something about you? Is there something about your experience with sex and sexuality or being visible that something really struck a chord in you? Well, well, (laughs) how long have we got? Um, so, uh, So where to begin? So I think that visibility is something that I struggle with and being mm, seen, you mean? Yeah, depending right, on the okay. context. All right. so, okay. So one of the reasons that I think I have always done sex ed is it is a remarkable way of stopping people from asking you anything else at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So I'm I'm really okay. good at being seen and standing up for other people and maybe not so much about right. talking about my stuff because being visible is actually quite scary but it's also really important and I think that is the that was the the thing that really stood out for me was if people right. can't see you then you can't be part of it you know that you can't be part of it that's right and and that's in all contexts you know, whether right. that's in our personal relationships or whether as being a member of our community or being included. If you can't be seen, you can't be included. You know, I'm slightly um I'm slightly jumping on our lady Brenna Brown there who says that if you can't be seen, you can't be loved, obviously. But I'm thinking more in a wider context with my work. You know. Right. If they can't see you, how how do you get to be included? And actually People who have disabilities, some people who have disabilities have an extra kind of, I don't know what the right word is, uh, uh, obstacle maybe, which is that not only are they not seen, they're also not able to advocate for themselves in a way that means that the seeing of them is through the right lens. And I see. Can you say a little yeah. bit more about so, oh, that? I can tell you a lot about this. Um, so so okay. where it comes to um, relationships and sex education, which has been my, and rights, you know, which has been the, the fire under me for the last 20 years or so, it's because we just mm-hmm. leave people out. Um, it's very inconvenient to have to try and make difficult abstract concepts uh, relevant and comprehensible for people who might find that difficult it's also really difficult to 
make that work happen when we are so invested in kind of fear-based safeguarding and shame and, you know. Right. So is there a a, a, a situation where you found yourself stunned by someone being so othered and so invisible that they didn't receive good, healthy advice around sex and sexuality and relationships that you can talk about now? I mean, all the time basically i mean all the time <laughs> yeah, um right. what really strikes me is that i mean so there's there's the i mean i, I talk I've, I've talked about this student in lots of different settings um but one of the things that i did used to do was go out and do um you know drop down days for schools you know when they take yeah. off time so drop down they take everybody off time table like, and like uh, the specialist comes in right. and, you know and i would go in and yeah, do the yeah, sex ed yeah. days at schools and this was at a mainstream school yeah is that when you used to drive around with a box of yeah. vaginas Listen, everywhere? I, still yeah. have, I still have that box <laughs> in my car in my car do you still do you still drive around with the box of vaginas and dicks? well <laughs> so the box still exists but what what i have right. taken to doing now now that i am the uh-huh. manager of a responsible community organization is that yes. i booby trap cupboards with it in the center so um you know just to make sure Good. that people are keeping on top of cleaning things absolutely <laughs> <laughs> That's 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 a good one. I'm sorry. I just I just that memory of that box just flashed back the to box, me. The box um, was not so bad. I tell you. I tell you what. Used what still haunts me now is when I used I used to work that? for Brook. You know, Brook in um, in Birmingham yeah. when we still had our old building. Which is, Can and Brook was a is a just oh, for yeah. our listeners. Brook is a, a so Brook is a national sexual health charity for uh, young people under right. twenty five. And I used to be in their education okay. team in Birmingham, working with um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, young people who were uh, had special educational needs. But the training, so it was in a clinic. There was a, it was an old clinic. It was an old building that kind of went on for miles. Mm. And um, the training turret uh, was in a plexiglass covered, like like gunner's turret on the top. It was a nightmare. But you had to climb okay. up like all these flights of stairs. And um, we used to get through a literal mountain of condoms and we used to have to drag them up these stairs. And the stairs are really narrow. <laughs> Jill, what were you doing with all those condoms, I mean, might I ask? To the youth. For the youth. <laughs> uh, many, many funny stories, but I, I, I want to get back to your student. So yes. <laughs> let's just okay, get back, so back to your student. Back, shall in, we? back in the room. So um back in the room. Back, back in, in the room. room. So um yeah, so I had gone out for Brooke. Um so we were at a it was a mainstream school. So this, this is the this is the, the bit where it all gets a bit sketchy. So it was a mainstream school. And um, right. what would happen is we would go in and do, usually one of us would do one whole year group, you know, and we'd do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one sure. class after another all day. And I had done mm-hmm. the year 11 uh, classes, so like 16-year-olds. And um, I was just packing up, like literally at the end of the day, we were, we were done. I'd done the same talk about six times, I think. And I was putting all my mm-hmm. stuff away to leave. And the, there was a knock on the door of the room that I'd been teaching in all day. 
And when I answered it, it was a young lady in a wheelchair who came in and she said, oh, can I ask you some questions? And I was like, yeah, fine, no problem. So this young lady had a physical disability. There was nothing nothing else, you know, no, no sensory, sensory stuff issues. or... She was a speaking person. She was not, not a no. non-speaking person. And she was also, right, she okay. was also, you know, really able to advocate for herself. Um, right. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't ask her, but there didn't appear to be any issues with her understanding or her comprehension at all. Mm-hmm. So she came in quite chatty. She goes, oh, I just want to ask you some questions. I was like, yeah, fine, come in. Did you not want to come into a class? Like, what year are you in? Did you not want to come into one of the classes? And her response to me was, they told me I didn't need to come in. And I just thought, you know what? Like, what? <laughs> what? You know. They told the her that The teachers told her that she didn't need to come into the classes. And that just right. makes me rage. I mean, we're going back now probably about... When was Ted? Five years ago. Five years ago. So this would be seventeen. Yeah, so this would have mm-hmm. been about four or five years before that, at the very most. Like not a million years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, no, not a million years ago. I just think like I mean, I was outraged then. What was what was it? What touched you? What 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 ignited that? Well, I mean I understand, but I would in your own words, what I ignited that rage? What, made me so angry was that this mm. young woman who was presumably about to leave school and go off on the same kind of adventures as her peers mm. had basically been scrubbed off the list of potential people that might ever want a relationship or any kind of intimacy with somebody because, oh, she's in a wheelchair, she, she won't need that. I mean... And then she also had been scrubbed off from being at all of a sexual person. Like what is that? Like as if she didn't have, you know, she didn't identify as anything or she didn't have any needs or didn't have any curiosity about her body or sex. No desires, no curiosity. Because of a wheelchair. Crucially that nobody would want her, that it was unnecessary. Mm. Right. Or that, or that she wouldn't want exactly. anybody else, and that makes right. me so that that gives me the rage. Makes you rageful. It's, it's disgraceful. Right. It's an outrage. But but it's disgraceful and outrage to you. Okay. Why? I understand why. I want to hear why you feel so. Not just because of 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 the obvious, um, grotesque, ableist performance of that yep. action by the school. But what is it that I want to hear what it what it does to you? What why it gives you this rage? Not just for her, but for you yeah, as a person. It's the personal and the political, because the personal is the political. Okay, know? so that's right for me. That's right. Like if if we go with my political head on first, and then dial it backwards, mm. I am so angry that we would presume that we would presume that there's some kind of elitism in the right Mm. to express our wishes and desires and to experience intimacy and relationships and to be viewed as somebody who is 
desirable and sexual right. and you right. know the same as everybody else that makes me really angry like on, on a, and, and also okay. it's stupid so we have a law that's based on being able to participate in consent culture so what's that it just re-victimizes if you don't give people the the opportunity to learn about that and to take part for themselves you literally render them potential victims or potential perpetrators right. that makes me really angry okay so that's number one right. but then on the personal level okay. like well you you have known me a long time so you know that mm. oh 15 years ago I was diagnosed with my own disability which has had a massive impact right. on my body on my mobility on right you know how I view myself see myself how I know that I am viewed and seen oh so that's that's really and also because I have a I have a body type that is well not standard so you know so that that also you know I forget we're on a podcast they can't see me so I'm also so I'm I'm also somebody who is of size I mean you know and I've been of varying sizes but I am a big woman I'm also a big woman who is disabled and that in itself is enough to be othering right so you're othering you're othering your fatness your bigness your 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 disability has allowed the world to see you and define you in 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 ways that perhaps are so different from the way you see you or the way i see you um because we're in relationship together we're very close friends and so i see your disability and i see your size see all those things of course but they're a part of a bigger gym. Yeah. They're a part of a universal. Um, I have the privilege to know you. Yeah. So although I can see all the things that you're talking about and do, don't dismiss them, they have really fired you into advocating for those who might not be able to sit in front of a yeah. microphone and say, you know, I'm disabled, I'm I'm fat, I'm disabled, I'm I'm this and that, because you can advocate for yeah. yourself. And also, you know, I am, I am, I am really conscious that I'm a powerful person. You know, I mean, yes, you are. Stick me in a situation; it'll get sorted out. You know, stand me in yeah. front of people, and I'll talk to them. Do you know what I mean? What's well, one of the yeah? It's one of the things that I think that you I find, you know, I asked you to sit and talk with me this evening is because you are mm. powerful, and your personal life and your emotional life and your spiritual life is also, you know, quite extraordinary. And you have done these extraordinary things for yourself mm-hmm. and others. And I would agree that your power is very much in advocacy i would agree and would you agree with that that that's one of your one of the things that you are able to conjure up is advocacy for others and yourself in a way that really makes huge differences in this world that we're living in Hmm. i mean i just 
I feel that there is a place. There is a place for all of us. You know, mm. there's some. There is a place for us. There's space for us all to be here. There's space right. for everybody. There's room. There's room. Yeah. And there, there is room. There is, and I. There is. You know, and I just. I feel very worried about how I, how I how I kind of hmm, what's the right way of putting it? I feel worried about the kind of unwritten rules of exclusivity that run mm. through things. Because one, I think yeah. they're bullshit. And two, I think, you know, that they are harmful and damaging. You know, I think they're damaging. I think that if we we don't make a conscious effort to make sure that everybody is included and having a nice time while they're being included, you know, not, not being included as tokenism, but being included because they're people of value and their own power and importance. Mm. Mm. I, I just think we're failing ourselves as well as everybody else. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I think I that we, we damage the whole collective. That's, you know, that's the best way we of explaining it, you know. We damage the whole yeah. collective when we're not inclusive. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're right. And I think it's easy for two <clears throat> white women to talk about the damage to the collective, but it's important that we do um, because of privilege. I agree. It's important that we talk about damage to collective in, in whatever way uh, we can do this together because it's about acknowledgement. I would agree. And do, I, I think it's about acknowledgement that you and I both work in areas of life that people are often marginalized mm -hmm. or who bring, who bring big challenges to a world that is full of people who don't like to be challenged. <laughs> well, you know, there's, <laughs> There's there's so much kind of um, what is the word? You know, keeping people separate serves a great deal right. of purpose for people who are fearful of of their yeah. place being rocked a little bit. Rather than and and, and the thing taken. is, I mean, you know, I, I've always talk, talked That's about. Right. You know, when I talk about the sex ed that I do, I talk about um, pleasure advocacy. You know, I talk about that quite a lot. Okay. Rather, rather than yeah, you do. Diverse, sorry. <laughs> um, rather than <laughs> no, I just I think it's a really important thing because you also believe that sex is right at the core I of do. who we are. You say that in your TED talk. I think your sexual identity yeah. is massive. You know, right? But you know, it's funny because performatively, we're out there. Um, women and men, um, trans people, queer people, whomever we are, we do a lot of performative sexuality. There's a lot of performance in it. There's a lot of, you know, big uh, boobies and, and, you know, whatever. All these kinds of images and sexual and sexualized images are quite performative when you get down to it. 
when the lights are off or on, whatever your preference is, <laughs> it's a little bit more scary yeah. in advocacy. Yeah. I mean. And I mean advocating yes. for oneself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean. And when you say that sex is at the core of who we are, pleasure is the right of who a human is. Is that what you mean? Well, I think so. I, I, I was the thread I was going with first. I'll come back to that in a second. Mm, carry so, on. You know, I was on. saying that. Um, so basically, the, the point I was making about um, not being risk focused, risk averse, but being pleasure focused in sex ed, it's a mirroring principle because. Okay. To, to a kind of a wider societal thing around diversity and inclusion. What we've got to get our heads out of mm -hmm. is that keeping everybody separate is the right thing to do because we're a bit scared of how we're going to include everybody and start thinking about and really acknowledging and knowing and trusting the fact that the diversity is what will make it good for everybody. Does that make sense? So that's where Absolutely. I was going with that. Um, and now back to advocating for oneself and uh, one's sexual identity. I think it's really important that we're all allowed to take up space in doing that. And I think the reason that so many people find that difficult <coughs> is because we go back to this, you know, exclusivity situation where and I, I anything that's yeah, different rocks the boat too much, you know. I think that goes back to the basis of, of so much uh, religion and patriarchy and, you know, all these things Ooh, that we can know, wax oh, on you about. Know I love the patriarchy. <laughs> it's my favourite topic. Doesn't serve anybody. Doesn't serve any purposes. Well, it serves a lot of people, the patriarchy. I'm not, I don't know if it serves, serves the people that you are advocating. Oh God. I think the patriarchy, Patriarchy serves a lot of people. Well, it does. I, it does, but I think it's one of those things that where there's always a hidden cost because in order to uphold that system. Hid, you, hidden yeah. hidden cost. The, I think the cost of patriarchy even, is. Even for the people that it seems to be serving, mm, I think that there are costs, mm, great costs. Yeah, and I, and I think that. Perhaps when we talk about sex and sexuality and advocating, we can't forget that men are included in this conversation. Mm -hmm. But the patriarchy and men not are, are not always the same thing. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really important to say because the patriarchy is, is a system and men are not just one thing. No, no definitely not. No, <laughs> definitely not. not. <laughs> now, I think you talked a little bit, and I think I know that you talked a little bit about what culture can do um, to help in the work of sexually educating people who are differently abled, who have challenged. How do we normalize that? How do we normalize our culture, which is ableist at its core? How do we normalize sex pardon me sex education for people with who are differently abled who have challenges whatever they well, may be well you know what i have watched with some alarm 
if I'm honest with you, the okay. way that sex education, full stop, has been. Okay. We're in a really strange moral climate of weirdness at the moment. I really am feeling the weird and where there's a lot of judging and a lot of right. moralizing going on. In what well, way? Just in. So sex education as a whole, I'm just going to say it. I know that, you know, there's a whole mandatory spin that's yeah. happening now. Um, the proposals that were put forward for how sex education was going to be done for everybody um, did not, did not. Oh God, it just didn't include people with disabilities. Not really. There were some tokenistic noises, but there weren't enough. Right. Okay. There wasn't any kind of right. equal measure going on there. And so if right. we're really going to normalize it, uh, maybe we should try actually doing sex education properly with everybody rather than just with the chosen few who get a teacher who's interested. I mean, come on, come on. You know, it gets me so angry. It gets me so angry. So um, basically we need to normalize sex ed. We need to normalize sex ed. We need to normalize talking about relationships and intimacy and sex and pleasure in a way that is not well, it just needs to stop being so bloody shamey to be honest with you i mean if you still like when i'm when i'm oh i'm on my soapbox amy i'm no. gonna have to come down a bit so i can reach the microphone no, um, no. i think it's really important that that you're given the opportunity in this time to feel angry about what you see as unjust that's am, why we're here is to talk about what you do in your life and what makes you angry and what makes you feel like you're feeling right now? We are still in a climate where sex education, I think, for the majority of the time, is being done under the under the umbrella of safeguarding people rather okay. than as part of your... beautiful, brilliant, crucial growing up and becoming an adult. That's okay. the long and the short of it. Relationships long and, and the sex education, your sexual identity and your sexual expression are not a sidelined thing. Like they are as important okay. for us as adults as being as any academic subject. Like they're the, they're it's the core of learning how to be with people. It's mm. about how how we learn to respect each other. It's about how we learn mm. to value each other's experiences. It's about how we learn to be tender with each other. And it's not being taught in that way. It's, you know, even even when I was out doing it all the time, sex education, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm a lady in my forties. I'm very tired. Um, <laughs> but there is still that's for another podcast. Yeah, completely other podcast. <laughs> um, there was still so much of oh, I've got all these problems. Can you come in and have a talk about you know, making sure that we don't get pregnant or making sure you know? Right. And I and I work. I still work in in Birmingham. Um, you know, I'm, I'm black country. Um, born and bred. Yep. Yeah, if you 
chop me down the middle, it says Tipton. Um, you know, <laughs> this is a where I work, where I've done all my education is a really diverse setting. We're really, really diverse. Um, yeah. And I refuse to believe that everybody that I got sent out to see was in horrible danger of suddenly becoming pregnant and bringing disrepute on everybody. And that was the only reason that we were doing the education. Like, it just makes me so angry that this big part of your life, because it is a big part, your relationships, Mm. we understand Mm. each other through our relationships with other people. We understand ourselves right. through our relationships with other people. And and you're also at the moment, because, you know, you're not busy <gasps> enough. You're studying counseling in, to, uh, in, the, in the hope of being a psychotherapist. Yes. So yeah. what you're talking about is relational, being in relationship, learning about relationships. I just need to because, slip out that that bit that that quote there about you know understanding each other through our life. Mick Cooper, everybody, if you Mick Cooper. Anyway, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give we'll give props yeah, to Mick, Mick. Now, listen, I have yeah. a question for you. Uh, can your parents explain what you do? <laughs> do they know what you do? Um, well, if you said to if we said to we if we said to your dad. Sir, what does what does Jillian do for a living? Well, what does she do? I think, yeah, I think you probably could now. I think there was a long, sketchy period where we probably have avoided telling people, um, right? That I was- <laughs> because your mom, I know your mom, and I know your dad, and I can't somehow I can't see Mike saying "sex wizard." I just I don't know why that might be. No, um, <laughs> no. I mean, I think I think now. They would just say that I, I manage a community organisation for, right. you know, for for disability. I think, well, you know, they came to my TED talk. They're out. They're out as they relatives out. of the sex wizard. They're so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just a little, just a couple mm. of more questions, and then and then we'll and then we'll close. Can you tell me a little bit about the night out? Oh, yes. Tell me a little bit about the night. Oh, okay. Right. Where to begin? Okay. So I jumped ship from doing sex ed because I had talked the talk, the talk for a long time. (laughs) You did the TED talk. talk. (laughs) Um, But I also felt that there was a wider need, as I said right at the beginning, for there to be community Mm -hmm. for younger adults who, you know, kind of get Mm -hmm. left out. The people that I work with who are from like 18 to their mid 40s, so they are, so they're the age where we meet our partners, we build families, we build our careers, except these are people with sometimes really complex needs, so they're not doing that. In February of this year, I was talking to my manager who is um, an extraordinary human, she's amazing we were talking about this stupid idea that we've got. Why don't we try hiring a nightclub, an actual nightclub with a bar in, you know, with a bar in, with a bar with, in, with, with real alcohol, alcohol, with drinks and stuff. And um, yeah, like you know what? No orange squash in a biscuit. We want to, we want a proper drink, man. Right. So let's try hiring one and let's see if we can just creak a little, 
disability-friendly nightclub off the ground in Birmingham. Just Listen, a little we're one. We're in Second City <laughs> and there ain't that much. So let's do it. Let's have a go. So we okay. made contact with the Night Owl, um, which is in Birmingham, in Digbeth, which is a really cool part of the city. And the Night Owl is quite a small club. They do a lot of live music they do a lot of northern soul type nights it's a really lovely venue but crucially ticked a lot of our boxes because it was inside and outside it's all wheelchair accessible they've got accessible loos mm, you know like, mm. they were good and we thought oh, we'll, we'll just we'll just punt it off into the into the open and see how we go and um anyway to cut a very long story short um it, it worked so um so we run um every month every third monday of the month we run come as you are which um not only is a nod to my 90s sensibilities but we felt it kind of summed up exactly what we wanted so when i was thinking about why don't why don't i go dancing no more apart from the now listen i I did suggest i did suggest the name the dog and sandwich but you (laughs) turned it down (laughs) Why would you do that to me? I was like, nightclub, pub, the dog and sandwich. No. And you said, no, no. <laughs> I think I'm going to do something more appropriate. Like, come as you are. So I was thinking about just a great that stop me going out um, cooking now. Yeah. You know, apart from the fact that I'm yeah. extremely tired. Um, right. So there was, there was the practical stuff, like not enough seats. And sometimes, although I want to go and listen to loud music and dance, sometimes it's too bloody loud and I want to go somewhere else. Sometimes I'm too hot. Sometimes I'm too cold. But mostly I like to sit down because of my disability. I am a big advocate of a large, comfortable trainer. (laughs) There's no heels in this lady's lifestyle. And I can attest to that. And Crocs. I'm just just saying. Anyway, let's move on. Um, I don't wear the crocs to go clubbing in, all right? Um, so she says, oh carry on. Um, so anyway, anyway, um, we so, decided that we would, and, and then there was all the other stuff. So the fact that like people want to listen to the music they want to listen to. People want to wear right, what they want to wear. they could sit down. Yeah. Right. Like, and they could get no a pressure. drink. You can just turn up and be yourself. No pressure. And, you know, and the other thing that I really love about it is that when you put lots of people who have got sensory issues and sensory needs in that kind of setting, you see some amazing dancing, but you also see a lot of stimming, you know. And, and, yeah. And just, I like to call that radical I, stimming. Do you know, radical stimming is the way forward. Radical. Do you know stimming. what I love about Come As You Are is that you can be in your own body in a completely joyful space and everybody else is there to do exactly the same thing. It's so powerful. So mm. that is Come As You Are. It's, it's really successful. It's rolling along. Um, but, you know, I think the really interesting thing about Come As You Are is that you – uh, encourage personal assistants to come, and they are uh, yes. free. It's free for personal. Yeah, they assistants. are because that's another. That's my. That's my other little contribution to chipping away at the system. One of the mm-hmm. big issues for people who have um, disabilities who need to be supported to access stuff is that you have to pay mm-hmm. twice sometimes. You know, and that's just yeah. rubbish. But also, <clears throat> pardon me. 
I think also what's so great about Come As You Are is that nobody is looking at a person who is radically stimming with a jack and coke in their hand and maybe a helmet if they fall. That's fine. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to manage that. Nice time. We're all out for a nice time. Can right. I, and it's okay. And can I tell you what we're doing on Monday? No. I can't. Well, this is so. What as this goes out, it'll probably be a little bit later than Halloween. But tell you about no, 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 no. I just it's, it'll be late, just so that you know people don't show up as come come as you are on you know seven Mondays from now. <laughs> they're still not there. No, <laughs> they're like, where's the lady in the cross? Stop it! <laughs> I wanted to tell you that. What are you doing this we're Monday? We're doing singles night for Halloween. <laughs> I think that's just brilliant. Singles night, it come as you are. A, sp- a spectacular singles night because in Digbeth, no one can hear you scream. But I also, okay. but also like, I just think, why not? Why not? Why and not? So, but why wouldn't you do a well, singles night? Signals exactly. Singles night. So what we're doing is um because originally i was thinking oh speed dating but actually that's too difficult for some people it's too difficult for me it's too difficult for anybody what what i've been doing with all my um my clients who've been coming to my peer groups for the last few weeks is we've been thinking which you run i run women's groups and men's group and lgbt group um you know in in the community so we've been writing a list of questions that we would ask somebody if we saw someone that was really hot (laughs) Okay. So we're going to take our big basket basket with us. We're all going to have name badges on. Basket. <laughs> like we're going to put stickers Great. on. So the PAs have to wear a sticker that says "I'm working," <laughs> like, and everyone else right. gets one with their okay. name on. And then if you see Fantastic. someone you like, you take a question from the ask it basket. You go over and you've got a question to ask, and they Wonderful. go from "How old are you?" to "What is your favourite sandwich?" to like all sorts of stuff. But these are legitimate and very uh, digestible questions. (laughs) Very to get it digestible sandwich. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. listen, (laughs) Jill, this has been an absolute joy from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for uh, agreeing to come and talk to me because you are a extraordinary person doing not very ordinary things, but you also are a, an ordinary woman who's come from challenges of her own to create an extraordinary environment for people who perhaps wouldn't get the opportunity um, to collaborate with you if you didn't use a voice that was as powerful as yours. So can I just thank you for joining me? Thank you for having me. You know, I mean, it's, it's always a joy to talk to you, but it's a privilege to talk about my work, you know. Mm. Yes, and I do. Can I say one thing before I before we finish? Absolutely, absolutely. What you have to remember about the work that I do is that I'm not working with people who are less and who are disadvantaged. No, I work with people who offer me the extraordinary privilege of witnessing their lives and being part of them for just a little bit sometimes and for a longer time with us. And I think if we all allowed that in, 
that we're all, you know, in in a constant state of what should be joyful witnessing, Mm. then maybe we would have a little bit more ease, Mm. you know. Yeah, we're better off for all the things we let in. We're we're always better together. Mm. Thank you, Jill. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Compassionate Observer with me, Amy Alexander. If you've enjoyed this episode and like to help support the podcast, subscribe, share on your socials, and join the conversation. You can find me on Twitter at Amy Breeds, my website, amyalexander.co.uk, or thecompassionateobserver.com. This podcast was produced by The Dog and Sandwich Productions. Thank you for listening.